few places really quick at the outset, and then we'll be at 1 Corinthians 15 together. But um, this Saturday, uh, we will have uh, all-congregation prayer. Uh, we'll join with the congregation with Elder and Sister Flowers. It will be all-congregation prayer here this Saturday. Um, pay close attention. It will be at 7 a.m. We've given those of you that desire it an extra hour. Instead of 6 a.m., 7 a.m., okay? Um, for all congregation prayer, 7 a.m. this Saturday. And uh, come with a heart of unity, seeking to join together with what the Holy Ghost would do in prayer. Amen? And then Sunday, uh, as a reminder, and we'll send some notes out, and please help reach out to people. Please help us make sure no one slips through. Sunday will be the first Sunday of December. And so throughout the month of December, we will only have one service on Sunday. And it will be at 10 a.m. Sunday, 10 a.m. Children will start downstairs for class. That will give us the room. Um, we're not trying to get rid of the children. We're just simply relocating them, and they'll start there uh, so that we have room for everyone. And we'll just do that for the month of December. We know that it can get busy for people with holidays and family and coming and going and, and just different things. Um, and so December, we will have one service on Sunday at 10 a.m., and that will start this Sunday. Amen? So... If you usually come to the 11 o'clock service, don't be late. If you usually come to the 9 o'clock service, you'll have more time to pray if you come early. Amen? Praise God. So one service, 10 o'clock this Sunday. So, like I said, please go to 1 Corinthians 15 in your Bible. We're gonna, I want us to read that together here in a minute. But um, I, I want to touch on some things here tonight um, that have been stirred in my heart for some time. And uh, I don't know that we'll share anything new, uh, but we need to be in the Word, amen? amen? And more than ever before, we need to be in the Word. Yes. Ephesians, we referenced it, um, we referenced it a couple of Sundays ago. Ephesians 2 and 8 says that we are saved by grace, how? Through what? Okay, saved by grace through faith, and that is what? Not of yourselves, okay? We did not save ourselves, amen? If we've been saved, we didn't save ourselves. It is the gift of God. So we're saved by grace through what? Faith. Okay, how do you get faith to be saved? Romans 10 and 17, right? Faith comes how? Hearing. Okay, and hearing by the word of God. All right, so... So we're saved by grace through faith. Faith doesn't just, faith comes by hearing. We, we read in one place in Scripture that the Word didn't accomplish anything in people's lives because it did not mix with faith in the hearer. So how we listen matters. That's why we talk about listening with our spirit. If we're not careful, we just listen and go, I'm trying to get more knowledge. I want to get more knowledge. I want to get more knowledge. And that in and of itself may not be wrong, but I want to know him. I don't want to just know stuff. And so faith, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. Paul told the church at Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 5. And if you look at verse 2, you don't have to turn there. Like I said, we're going to move quick verse. He said, I want to know this about you. He said, did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or did you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith? And he repeats that question in verse number 8, I believe, in the, or verse number 5 in the same chapter. He asked them, you know, he that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he... Does he do it by the works of the law or does he do it by the hearing of faith? 
Were you saved by the works of the law or were you saved by the hearing of faith? Well, we know the answer. The answer was the hearing of faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith. We got faith by hearing the word of the Lord. Someone spoke to us the gospel. One place Paul said, how can they hear without a preacher? That doesn't mean somebody standing here holding a microphone necessarily. It could be a person that you met on the street that shared the gospel with you. They were a preacher, somebody that declared the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? And so you heard, and when you heard, it mixed with faith in your heart. Now, some people hear, and there's no faith. If there's not a change, they won't be saved because we're saved by grace through faith. But faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. And so Paul was saying that. And now we know, we read this a few, and talked about this a little bit ago, and we read through the book of James, those of you that are on the Bible reading journey. Uh, James talked about hearing, right? Hearing the word of the Lord. And he made a statement about hearing the word of the Lord. He said, I don't want to just be a hearer, but I want to be a, a doer. And then he went on in his letter. James talked about, you've heard him say this, faith without Works is what? So, so we're saved by grace through faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. We can't just hear the word. It has to mix with faith, and then we become a doer of the word. And faith without works is dead. So are we saved by works? No. Sorry, I set you up. No, we're not saved by works. Well, we are, but not our works. Not our works. Philippians 1 and 6, I believe it is. It declares to us, He that hath begun a good work, where did he begin it? In you. Oh, so you are saved by work, just not your work, not my work. He that hath begun, Paul said, I'm confident of this thing. He that hath begun a good work in you, what will he do? He will perform it. He'll continue the work he started in you. See, sometimes we think once he does the work in us, then we have to do the rest of the work. He will perform it. Until the day or of Jesus Christ, which, of course, is the coming. Now, so we see these. So, so we, we, we need the scripture agrees with itself. So we have to understand we're saved by grace through faith, but that's just not. That's the deception that is often shared, I believe, and therefore. No, there's, we understand from the word supporting itself. So stay with me a little bit. We're going somewhere. Uh, and so you see, I know you didn't read this unless you just read on ahead because you really got into the book of Hebrews, which happens to me every time I start reading it. I end up reading the whole book. I just, man, I love the book of Hebrews. And so if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you find it's often called the heroes of faith, Right? And so we see all these people that were people of faith. And we don't have time tonight. You'll, I'll just provoke some thought in you, and you can go do a study. Because we're, we're talking about how by grace are you saved through faith. And Paul says all these things, that we're, or the writer of Hebrews says all these things that we're going to talk about here in a minute. This is all just sort of foundational. The writer of Hebrews says all this stuff, and then he comes to Hebrews chapter 11. And shares the heroes of faith. That's not just an insert in the middle of the book. He was building up to that with everything that came before it. We're going to look at what came before it tonight. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we find an interesting verse. I think it's verse, uh, I'm going to get in trouble because I don't remember what verse it is. But he speaks of Noah. And he says that Noah, by faith, built an ark. You read that before? And he built the ark. To the saving of his house. Yeah? I'll just look here real quick so I make sure I'm not misquoting that. Verse 7. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, he moved with fear. He prepared an ark to what? Okay, now I have a question for you. Noah did this by what? Faith. Faith. You're saved by grace through faith. So by faith, Noah had been what? Warned. He heard something, didn't he? What did he hear? 
What did he hear? He heard the voice of the Lord, didn't he? The word of God. He was warned of God. Where did his faith come from? His faith came by hearing. Yes. He heard the word of God. Faith came by hearing. He was warned. And then he did what? He moved. Aha. Now those who twist the scripture would say, that's works. No, it's not. He moved and he prepared an ark. Yes? And what did the ark do? It saved him and his house. Yes? So question. Was Noah saved by works? Was he saved by works? No. I can tell you're wrestling, but I, I, we need to process this is why I'm asking these questions, okay? The scripture is clear. It was by faith. By faith. By faith, he moved. He heard the word of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing. He heard it. And faith said, that's the Lord talking to me. I'm building an ark because the Lord told me to. I'm not trying to save myself by proving something to God, by performance. I'm not trying to earn salvation. I simply heard the word of God. And when I heard, I had faith that he spoke to me. I acted on what he spoke. And thank God I responded in faith because my response to his word, he saved me. Question, where did he get the plans to build the ark? Oh, God, so it wasn't his idea. Who told him how to build it? Who told him where to put the pitch? Who told him where to put the window? Who told him where to put the door? Oh, so he did not save himself. He heard the word of God in faith. And he obeyed the word of God. This is important because we're living in a day and time when people are twisting the word of God. When they take Ephesians 2 and 8 and say you're saved by grace through faith. Not of works lest a man should boast. It's the gift of God. I totally agree with the word of God. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by faith. Grace through faith. But when we have faith, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham offered his son, his only son, Isaac. Yes? So isn't him taking his son and going three days journey and going up to the top of Mount Moriah and laying his son on, isn't that works? The writer of Hebrews didn't call it works. The writer of Hebrews called it faith. Why? Because it wasn't his idea. He wasn't trying to do some work to make God save him. But he, in faith, where did he get the idea to take his son and offer him? Where? Oh, God. God spoke to him, yes? Where did God, how did he know where to go? Oh, the Lord told him to go. Matter of fact, I think the scripture even said the Lord told him, go to the place or the mount that I will show you. Yes? So see, it wasn't his work. It was obedient. By faith, he heard the word of God. But faith comes by hearing. And when he heard it, he became a doer of the word. Not his idea. The instruction the Lord gave him. Yes? All right. This is important. This is important. Now, okay, that was sort of foundational. All right. Saved by grace through faith. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word. We don't just hear the word, we're a doer. Faith without works is dead. Christ began the good work, he'll perform it. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, you're there. Thank you for your patience as we move through that little. Now we're going to go. 
Everybody got it? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Let's, let's try this. If you're not in the King James, this isn't going to work very well. You have to look at the screen if you don't have a King James Bible. I'm not, I'm not opposed to others. As a matter of fact, I have my NKJV over there, and I was reading the Amplified. And so, but tonight we're reading the King James, okay? So if you don't have a King James in front of you, look at the screen. I'd like us to read along the first four verses, so they'll just move with us. You ready? All right, let's read together. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Now, pause right there for a second. I want to make sure we're all reading together. Paul is declaring to us the gospel. Yes? Okay, let's read verse 2. By, together, by which also you are what? Saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Next verse. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right? This is the gospel. This is the gospel by which we are saved. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? You believe you're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there another way for you to be saved? It's the only way, isn't it? Amen. Good. We're, we're, we're on the same page. All right. We agree. Now, go with me all the way back to the book of Luke. We're going to bring all this together. I know if it feels like we're a little jumbled right now. I, there are many voices in the world we find in the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that there are many voices in the world and none of them are without signification. Doesn't mean they're all important, but they all have some significance, whether good or evil. There's many voices in the world. Now, if we don't know the Word of God, we will be deceived. Eve, if she would have known the Word of God, wouldn't have been deceived. Okay? Well, and if she wouldn't have been hanging around looking at the tree, it might have helped too. Sometimes we just got to stop looking at some things we're looking at. And so, so we need to know the Word of God. All right, so you're with me in the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23 and verse 39. I know you guys are going to be like, what in the world are we doing? But it's okay. It'll all make sense, I believe, in Jesus' name. He's going to help us. I'm reading here. Starting in verse 39, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 43. But, but listen here. One of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save, watch, save yourself and us. Okay, this is the crucifixion where at Golgotha, Christ is there and a male factor is on each side. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Verse 40. But the other malefactor, answering, he rebuked the first one, and he said, Do you not fear God, seeing you're in the same condemnation? Verse 41. And we, the two malefactors, we're indeed justly in this condemnation, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. This is what their works got them. This is what their works got them. We receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he, this malefactor, said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, when? When? Today. You shall or shall you be with me where? Where? Is that heaven? 
Okay, good. We're in the, you, you've been reading your Bible. Uh, that's a different Bible study for a different time. That's not heaven. Okay, no man hath ascended up into heaven except he that has descended down from heaven. Okay? Ain't nobody in heaven yet except the Lord. I, I know we use that term to comfort one another, but nobody's there yet. Okay? The scripture says that at the last trump, right, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Who's them? That's the dead in Christ. We'll be caught up together with them and we'll meet the Lord in the air. Okay? Again, different Bible study for a different time. I realize for some of you that's making you go, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Because, like, maybe you, you know someone's passed away and you say, oh, thank God they're in heaven. The Bible doesn't. Okay, we, we can't hang there tonight, but we, we just need to know. So, all right. Um, so Jesus said to the male factor on the cross, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Yeah? Okay. So, I have a question for you. This is group participation still. Was the thief, or the male factor, as he's called in this passage of Scripture, was he saved by faith or by works? <laughs> you need to, you, we got to be answering these questions here. What think you? Okay, some of you are like, <laughs> okay, so let's, let's do it this way. I'm going to watch whether, okay, if you say faith, raise your hand. Okay, if you say works, raise your hand. Okay, he was saved by faith. Okay, what was his faith? Where was his faith? His faith was in the man on the cross, yes? He recognized who he was. He had faith in who he was, and his faith spoke out and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had faith that he was more than just a man. Yes? Saved by faith, not by works. Okay, you ready? Next question. Look, there, there's no points deducted or anything. This isn't like heaven or hell Q&A. Okay, but, but, but we need, I, I know this is a little lighthearted, but I, we need to be thinking about these things because there's stuff that's perpetrated in our world, and if we don't know what the Word says, we'll, we'll get pulled left and right believing stuff, but we need to rightly divide the Word of truth. Amen? Okay, so he was saved by faith. Okay. Right, remember the first verse, save yourself and us. Okay, now... Was he saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Okay, so raise your hand if you believe he, if you're saying yes, he was saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you say yes, he was, raise your hand. If you say no, he was not saved by the gospel, raise your hand. Some of you ain't raising your hand. I mean, my memory's not the greatest, but I remember if you raised your hand first or not. Okay. Now, see, we're going to start tying all this together. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Okay. Hearers have to be doers of the word. Faith without works is dead. Not our works, the works that he tells us to do. Noah, build an ark. Build it like this. Pitch it inside and outside. Put a window here. Moses, or 
Abraham, take your son, take him to a place I'm going to show you, offer him there, right? That's the work, doing what he tells us to do in faith. Not doing our own good deeds to earn or produce something. Okay? Now, watch. We read it in 1 Corinthians 15, yes? Paul said, by the gospel which you are saved. So we're saved by the gospel, yes? We are saved by the gospel. But... This guy wasn't saved by the gospel. We agree? Okay. What is the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection, yes? In this passage of scripture in Luke we read, in the male factor hanging on the cross, had Jesus died? This is not a trick question. Had Jesus been buried? Had Jesus risen again? Okay, that's the gospel. Yes, death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus hadn't died, been buried, and resurrected. He couldn't have been saved by the gospel. Is this making sense? Why does this matter? I'm going to tell you why it matters. Because there is a false doctrine in the world that is going around that says, you know what? You don't need There is no obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just have to believe and you're saved. There's no obedience. Just look at the thief on the cross. What did he do? He didn't do anything. There are many who are saying baptism is not necessary because when did the thief on the cross have time to be baptized? Well, that's not not proper rightly dividing the word of truth. You're trying to say the thief was saved by the gospel the way we were, we are. No, he wasn't the gospel wasn't in effect yet. Yeah? Okay. Good. Isn't this great? Hebrews chapter 8. You need to know the word of God so you can give an answer of the hope that lies within you. I'm not angry at people that try to say, hey, just look at the thief. That's all it took for him. But I'm grieved that they're teaching other people now that Christ has died, has been buried, has rose again, that the salvation for souls in this hour comes the same way it came for the thief. Different times. All right. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. I know many of you hopefully were able to read Hebrews 8 and 9 today. If not, that's fine. We're going to read some of it tonight. We're not going to read both chapters all the way through by any chance. Hebrews 8. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Great starting. (laughs) I love it. About all the stuff we said in those first seven chapters, here's the sum. That's why we started in verse 8. We have such an high priest, aren't you thankful, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Verse number two. A minister, watch this, he's a minister or a servant of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. The true tabernacle, that's important. Which the Lord pitched and not man. It wasn't an earthly tabernacle. This was a tabernacle... Mm. Go back to that verse just a minute. I'm excited here. This is a tabernacle the Lord pitched and not man. (laughs) Some of you are getting it already. It wasn't a physical building. But the Lord pitched a tabernacle. He set a tabernacle up. Which was a place for God to dwell. Jesus said, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Jesus was the tabernacle that was pitched. God said, I'll pitch a tabernacle not made with hands, and then I'll dwell in it. This is why we know Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. 
I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, uh, verse number three. Watch. For every, we need to notice, all this is so important. Every high priest, somebody say every high priest. Every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. If you are a high priest, if you were a high priest, a key part of your ordaining is you will offer gifts and sacrifices. That's what you'll do if you're a high priest. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man, which man? The man that we just read about in verse 2 where the Lord pitched his tent. This high priest. It is necessary, it's of necessity that he has something to offer. You following me? Skip down to verse 7 for sake of time. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. That's King James English, plain English. If the first covenant had been without error, there wouldn't be a need to have a second covenant. Next verse. For finding fault with them, fault with the first covenant, he said, who's he? He's the high priest. He said, Jesus, we know this now, right? He's the one that the Lord pitched the tent. He said, the high priest, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I, the Lord, will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse number 9. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued. Now what? Now we know he's talking about the Old Testament law in the Old Covenant. The, the, that covenant. That's the first covenant. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Why did he not regard them? Because they did not continue in his covenant. That's why he called it fault, said it wasn't without fault. They couldn't continue in it. That was the fault of the first covenant. Man could not live in it. So the high priest says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. And write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man his brother. Saying know the Lord. For what? All shall know me from the least to the greatest. How will they know him? For I will be merciful. Watch. To their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Verses 10 through 12, of course, the writer of Hebrews is quoting the prophet Jeremiah from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. You can go look and read it. It was the prophetic, the, the, it's almost word for word, the prophetic word of the prophet Jeremiah speaking of the coming Messiah. And so we know who the high priest is. And he said, you're no longer going to teach. Remember, Jesus came teaching. Yes, he came teaching everywhere he went. He was teaching. They called him rabbi. Why do you call him rabbi? Well, teacher. He was a teacher. But he said, you're not going to have to teach everybody because everybody's going to know me. How are they going to know? Because I'm with you right now, but I'm going to be in you. I'm, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it on. I'm going to write it in your minds. It's no longer going to be you trying to study to learn it. I'm going to write it in your mind. Now, we study the Word, but we get revelation in the Word because of the indwelling Spirit of God. And the Spirit and the Word agree. Okay. So Hebrews 9. So we got this high priest. Verse number 1. Then, verily or truly, the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Now, King James gets this sometimes, so let's make sure we caught what he said. The first covenant. What's the first covenant? The law, Old Testament law, yeah? Okay. The first covenant had ordinances. What's an ordinance? Well, it could be one of two things. It's not the one that's getting fired. Okay, that's an ordinance too, but that's not that one. It's like um, a law, right? You ever get pulled over and they give you a ticket, they're usually quoting an ordinance on that ticket. They're giving you a number for that ordinance, okay? It's a rule, a law. So the first covenant had ordinances or laws of divine service. That's works. That's works. 
things you had to do. And it was a worldly sanctuary, man-made. Okay? We're not going to read all those other verses for sake of time. Skip all the way down to verse number 6. Now, when these things, this is the first tabernacle, this is the worldly tabernacle, man-made tabernacle. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, the work that God told them to do. Now, but into the second, the first tabernacle is the holy place. Into the second, that's the holiest of holies. Into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered why did, who did he offer the blood for? Himself and the errors of the people. Why himself? Because the high priest could also sin. Verse 8. Watch this. The Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way. Everybody say the way. The way. The way. The way into the holiest of all. <laughs> what? I love the word of God. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Oh, but the way is going to be made manifest to get in. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. But I read somewhere that Jesus was the way. I read somewhere that the Word was manifested in the flesh. You see what the writer of Hebrews is doing here? And if they knew the Word and they're looking, he's saying, hey, the way for everybody to get into the holiest of all, it was not yet made manifest. But if they're looking and they're remembering the words of Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the way, I'm the way. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, but watch. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. Yeah? Which was a figure or a type and a shadow, an example. It was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect pertaining to the conscience. It was only temporary relief. It pushed the sin forward. Verse number 10. It stood in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal works. Man doing works to push their sin forward, to feel good about themselves. The conscience imposed on them until when? The time of reformation. What's being reformed? Covenant. Okay. Now, this is where you get the term the Reformationist movement. Unfortunately, they stopped too soon. All right. But we don't have time for that tonight. Verse 11. Oh, thank God for those first two words. Well, thank Him for all of them. But, but Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or not built by man, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own, what? By his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, the writer of Hebrews in that verse that we read just a few minutes ago in verse number um, 8 or 9 said the way was not yet manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. That can speak of Moses' tabernacle. It can also speak of the fact that Christ was a tabernacle and as long as he was still living, the way was not yet made manifest. Does that make sense? He said, destroy this temple in three days. But the way was not manifest until he was no longer standing. Now, but by his blood, he became eternal redemption for us. Now, skip down. 
Oh, no, don't. Let me just read two more verses. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. That's the old covenant. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from from what? Dead works to serve the living God. Any work you and I do that's not instructed of the Holy Ghost, it's a dead work. Okay? Now, so we see this changing of covenants taking place that's promised, but it's going to take the blood of the high priest. He's got to offer something. It's a necessity that the high priest offers something. And so we see that the high priest, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice that he offered was himself. Because he could offer none greater, he offered himself. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. The blood of lambs and goats and calves couldn't purge. But the blood of the Lamb of God could once for all obtain an eternal redemption for us. Thank you, Jesus. Now skip down to verse 15. I guess that's not skipping, but there we are. And for this cause, for what cause? The cause of obtaining eternal redemption for you and I. That really has to register in our spirit what it means to have eternal redemption. For this cause... He is the mediator of the New Testament. Now, here the writer of Hebrews changed the word from covenant to testament now. Still talking about the same thing. He is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for what? The redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, right? All these things. And if we've done any of them, we're guilty of the law. If we offend in one, we've offended in the whole law, the Scripture says. And so for the redemption of our transgressions under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. How do we receive it? Because there's a mediator that by means of death, redemption comes. Next verse. For where a testament is. There must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Now, let's say that this is my and my wife's last will and testament. All right? Our last will and testament. Anybody know what that is, a will and testament? Okay, good. We're on the same page. Let's say this is mine and my wife's last will and testament. And I've got everything in here. I'm leaving to Autumn and Ethan and my son Joel and... Other people that may be, you know, right? It's all written in here. This is my last will and testament. And I take my last will and testament. I make multiple copies. And I give one to Ethan. And I give one to Autumn. I give one to Joe and whoever else I give one to. Now they all have my last will and my testament. Yes? Very good. Now, it says that they all get whatever. When do they get it? When do they get it? When I die, right? They may know it, but they don't get it as long as I'm living. Yes? Where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Now, hopefully, they're not trying to knock me off, right? But there must necessity for this to be in effect. The one who wrote it has to die. Yes? Who wrote the Testament? Who wrote it? See, this is, this is why God can't be multiple persons. He can't write the testament and say, hey, yeah, but I'm going to send somebody else to die. God robed himself in flesh. 
came and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Okay, now watch verse 17. For a testament, I probably just hang on to that. It's nice to have a visual. For a testament is a force or enforce after men are dead. My kids can look and they can salivate. Not that I got much, but, you know, they can look and, oh, you know, they can start planning and vacations and dreaming and new cars or not going to be much of a car. I'll just tell you that right now. And they'll be planning all this stuff, but they can get all excited, but it don't mean anything as long as I'm breathing. No force. They could go down to a lawyer and say, hey, look what I've got. I'd like to put this into place. And the first thing the lawyer is going to say is, uh, do you have a death certificate? First thing, I've been in banking a long time. Somebody comes in and they show me, I, I've looked at a lot of wills and testaments. And they'll bring them in and it says, hey, look, this right here says that I get all this money in this account. I'm like, that's great. I'm glad to do it. I need a certified death certificate. Why? Because this is of no force without the death. Yeah? Yeah? After, otherwise, it's of no strength at all while the testator lives. Verse 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. Keep going. For when Moses spoke in every precept to all the people, he took blood of calves and goats and water. And so we, we see Moses doing this when he read the law. He would sprinkle him with blood as a type and a shadow. Verse 20 saying, this is the blood of the testament. Which Now, he was talking of the Old Testament, the law. He was saying, hey, blood. Blood has been shed, which is a blood covenant. All right, verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood the tabernacle and all the vessels. Old law, verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no what? No remission so what if it's the blood of a calf but the calf doesn't die did that satisfy the law no right the blood came from a sacrifice that had to lose its life so I have a question for you I know you've already answered it, but I want you to see it in the light of the Scriptures. Was the thief on the cross saved by the gospel? Testator wasn't dead yet. It wasn't in force. That's the twisting of the Scripture. The testator's not dead yet on the cross. We know that because the malefactor was talking to him. And some people say, yeah, but he'd already shed blood. Yes, but he wasn't dead yet. Not in force as long as he lives. No remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Say, so, well, then how did he get his sins remitted? Well, because the guy on the cross beside him happened to be God manifest in the flesh. This is why when Jesus was teaching one day and they lowered a man down through the roof that had the palsy and Jesus looked at the man and said, thy sins be forgiven there. And they're like, ah! And Jesus said, what, is it easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or say rise, take up at thy bed and walk? And they were over there in their corner carrying on. Who can forgive sins but God? Exactly. So he could hang on the cross and that man could say, remember me. And God manifest in the flesh could say today. And could remit his sins. Why? Because he was God. In the flesh. Not because he'd shed blood. Still under the old covenant. You with me? We need to understand the light of the word of God. Otherwise people will take it and twist it. But the word is very clear. Okay, verse 23. I'm trying to hurry and finish. Verse 23. Um, I'm glad it's up there because I keep going through different chapters. It was therefore necessary. You notice how many times you see that word necessity, necessity, necessary. It's of necessity. That doesn't leave wiggle room. 
The writer of Hebrews is trying to make this clear. It's necessity. It is a necessary thing. It's required. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Verse 24. For Christ, this is so powerful if we'll get a revelation of this word. Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Remember at the beginning where he said the true tabernacle, not a tabernacle made with hands? He's saying, hey, your high priest isn't going into an earthly tabernacle that is made with hands and pushing sins forward one year. Your high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he entered in, he went beyond an earthly tabernacle. He stepped into the throne room of God. He went into heaven where all judgment will one day be final. He stepped into the holy places not made with hands. He stepped into heaven itself. Is that what the word says? He stepped into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. What did he do? He died and he stepped into heaven on your behalf and mine. He said, I'm done just pushing them forward. I have become the perfect sacrifice. The Lord sought for a man to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. But he found none. So his arm brought salvation. He did it himself. This is why the thief on the cross was not saved by the gospel. Because this hadn't happened yet. Let's finish in Hebrews 10. Chapter, number, chapter 10 verse 9. Then said he. This is our high priest. Lo I come to do your will O God. He takes away the first. The first what? Covenant. He takes away the first. Why? That he may establish the second. By the which will, his will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The thief on the cross was not sanctified by the body of Christ because it had not yet been fully offered. Does that make sense? I, I'm using that as because... We have to recognize salvation came differently in the old covenant than the new. The thief was still under the old covenant. He was still saved by faith. But it was faith that came by hearing. That was still the same. But it wasn't by the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was still under the old law. That's why God could say today. Okay? Um. Skip down to verse 14. We'll finish with this set of scriptures right here. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So what's a witness to us of all this? I mean, it's nice to hear it, but I'd like some witness in my life. How about you? Well, there is one. The Holy Ghost is a witness to us. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it becomes a witness. Your spirit bears witness with His spirit. The Holy Ghost is a witness to us. For after that, He had said before, watch what He said before, this is the covenant. And again, the writer of Hebrew begins quoting Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I'll make with them after these days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws. This time, though, He didn't say in their minds. He said in their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Once your sins are remitted, there's no more an offering. You notice this is the second time we've talked about the remission of sins. We read in chapter 9, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now we see here, where remission of these, there's no more offering. Having therefore, verse 19, brethren, boldness to enter, what are we entering? 
the holiest. Remember what we read in chapter 8? The way into the holiest was not yet manifest. Now the writer of Hebrews has said, hey, the testator has died. His blood has been shed. He went to heaven for us. So now we're past that. Now the way has been made. And he says, now we have boldness to enter. We have a way to get into the holiest of holies now, the presence of God. And I'm not like, oh, my goodness, I'm not worthy. I don't. You're right. But there is a way that I'm made worthy. I can go boldly into the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 20. By a new and living. What? Who's the way? New and living. He's the living way. He's the living way, which he consecrated for us. How did he consecrate it? He consecrated it through the veil. What was the veil? The veil is his flesh. In the Old Testament tabernacle, the glory of God would come down in the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of holies, and the glory would fill the tabernacle. When Jesus Christ came, the glory of the Lord came down, and he robed himself in flesh, the veil. He came in, came through the veil, and robed himself. He became the light of the world, the bread of life, he was baptized of John in Jordan, and then he became the sacrifice at Calvary. He just came right back through the tabernacle to reveal himself to us. And he did it to make a way for us back into the holiest of holies. Stand with me. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us, everybody say, let us. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of what? In full assurance of what? What are you saved by? <laughs> Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with what? Sounds like baptism. Romans 6 and 4 says we're buried with him through baptism. Colossians 2 and 12 says we are buried with him through baptism. So if we're saved by the death, burial, and resurrection, I heard it. Here's why this is important. Because in all of this, there are people saying baptism is works. You can't do anything to save yourself. I'll tell you, baptism is not a work. Not a work that you and I have done. I don't, this is why I don't believe someone can baptize themselves. But no matter who baptizes you in the name of Jesus Christ, because it's the only name under heaven whereby yeah. we must be saved, they're not saving you either. It is your hearing by faith. And then your obedience to what you heard and your faith that going down in the water in the name of Jesus remits your sins. The blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. This is why I believe the blood of Jesus is applied in the waters of baptism. Because it's there that remission of sins takes place, according to Acts 2.38 and other places. Last two verses. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. If you're saved by your faith, grace through faith, but you've got to hold fast. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Last verse. And what? Let's consider one another. What are we supposed to consider one another for? Supposed to provoke one another. I provoke my wife sometimes. I'm just going to say, baby, I'm practicing the word. No. Oh, no, that's not what it said. Provoke to love. Ah. Let's provoke unto love and to what? Whoa, whoa, good works. Oh, there's this works thing again. Oh, but see, at this point, you're saved. 
The writer of Hebrews is understanding at this point, you've been saved. Your sins have been remitted. The Holy Ghost is bearing witness in your life already. We've covered all that now. But now there's something else that's taking place because we've entered into the holiest of holies. Now we're provoking one another to love and we're provoking one another to good works. Not like, hey, you should be doing more. You should be doing more good works. No, like we're provoking one another to hear from the Lord, act in faith, be a hearer and a doer of the word. Just like Noah built an ark because God told him to, we begin to live our lives in obedience to the Holy Ghost, being led by the Spirit, and we do works, not of our own thinking, not of our own production, not of performance, but of the leading of the Spirit of God. We provoke one another to good works. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is a result of a new covenant. A New Testament. Amen. Let's thank the Lord before we leave here tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you, dear Lord, for your blood. Thank you for being the testator that would write a new covenant and then lay down your life so that that new covenant, that new testament would be enforced. We thank you for your precious holy word. We receive it of you in faith. I pray, let us to know your word as you desire it to be known. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.